0: The message tonight is entitled, Pilate Rejected Jesus. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful ruler in the world, you know, the head of gold in the um, time of the Gentiles that is given to us in Daniel chapter 2 of the whole image. And due to his pride, he attempted to contradict the revelation of God and he made an image all of gold to indicate that his kingdom was never going to be conquered. Well, he had a surprise coming. And God caused him to live as an animal to eat grass and sleep under the dew uh, for several reasons and humble them and uh, so that he would know that God is the one who's in control of world empires. As he regained his sanity, uh, he proclaimed the following. Listen carefully in Daniel four, thirty four 35 And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in in, in the army of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson. He humbled himself. And I expect to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. To the testimony that we have in the book of Daniel. Amazing. Now, 600 years later, we have Pilate. By pride, he never believed the witness of Jesus. But instead, he attempted to secure his own position and power by rejecting the truth of who Jesus was, the Son of God. Pride is a big thing. Sometimes uh, individuals think they know better than God. They think that they got it wired. They think that they can figure things out. They think that, you know, they know more than God. And that is a problem for all of us as sinners. The trial of Jesus by Pilate revealed him in a progressive movement that revealed um, and sealed his eternity, really. And we find this, it's going to take a little bit of material here. It's John chapter 18. We're going to go from verse 28 all the way to chapter 19, verse 22. And what we'll do is we're going to take John to move through there. And then I'm going to supplement the other Gospels so that you can get all the in-betweens, okay? And so we're just going to move through I'm not going to read it all right now. As we move through it, you'll be able to follow it. We'll use John primarily as our text. But um, let me give you the the three uh, simple progressive movements that we're going to see. First, we're going to see Pilate as a distinguished authority. In chapter 18, from verse 28 to 38. Then secondly, we're going to see Pilate as a decisive adversary in chapter 18, verse 39, to chapter 19, verse 5. And thirdly, we're going to see Pilate as a distressful advocate in chapter 19, verse 6 to 22. Now I'll repeat this as we go along, so if you've missed them, you'll get them as I go through them one by one. Let's begin here, Pilate as a uh, distinguished authority in chapter 18, verse 28 to 38. Look at chapter 18 here, verse 28 to 32, Pilate and the Jewish leaders we have here. Jesus was taken in verse 28 directly to the religious trial of his secular trial by Pilate here. Matthew 27, 1 through 12 tells us that. Mark fifteen one and Luke 23, 1 tells us also. Now, The time was early in the morning. The last watch was between 3 to 6 a.m. So probably early around 6 to 7 a.m. this is taking place. They took Jesus from Caiaphas um, to the praetorium, the official uh, residence of the governor. The um, official residence of the governor, the military barracks and the judgment hall probably the Antonius fortress that was always manned by the Roman praetorium when all these feast days, because of the swelling of population and the liability of being riots and everything else. Now, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders is nauseating, willing to accuse a man falsely and yet not wanting to be defiled by entering a Gentile's home. Interesting, they didn't want to go in, they thought they'd be defiled. They strained at the a gnat and they slaughtered a camel, as Jesus said in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-four. Notice in verse 29 and 31 of the chapter, Pilate went out to the religious leaders. In verse 29, Pilate, the governor here, um, his descent was from Pontius, one of the most famous of Semite names who inflicted disgrace on the Roman army and later were conquered and absorbed. Pilate was the sixth proc- procreator or procurator of Judea, formerly the kingdom of Archelaus until he was deposed in 6 AD. Remember the sons of Herod. Archelaus was one of them. Pilate was procreator, uh, was the personal servant of the emperor, directly responsible to him and was Primarily concerned with finances, money. Pilate was what they call cum potestate. He possessed civil, military, and criminal jurisdiction. little history on Pilate is interesting at this point. Pilate um, resided in Caesarea, the capital, and when governors came into Jerusalem, as I said earlier, they removed the Roman standards so as not to offend the Jews for idolatry. But Pilate didn't do that. He provoked them. He didn't care. He said, in your face, so to speak. They followed him to Caesarea, met him at the amphitheater. Some of you have been there with us right there on the Mediterranean See, And they told him that he would kill them. They challenged him. And he fell before them. Josephus has an interesting description of that. He verifies this account. Later he took the um, temple money to build an aqueduct resulting in riots and he planted men to kill the Jews. He got himself a more hot water. He also hung shields with the emperor's name in Herod's palace and he refused to remove them. Finally he was ordered to remove them by Tiberius. So that didn't make him look good before Rome. He ruled for 10 years, removed by Vitellius in 36 AD, and Philo and Josephus are the only two sources for Pilate outside of the New Testament. In fact, he was thought to be an invention of the Bible. You know how the non-believers are. They're always challenging and finding fault until they found a seat in the amphitheater of Caesarea there on the Mediterranean with his name, Pontius Pilato. In fact, some of you have been there and when we get off the buses and we go in, now a copy of it's right there in the very beginning. So once again the Bible proves to be verifiable and trustworthy, very, very accurate. Pilate. The is given to us here at the end of verse twenty-nine to thirty-two. Notice in twenty-nine and thirty-one, he questioned the Jews' religious leaders uh, and asked two questions of them. Um, twenty-nine and thirty. First, what accusations do you bring against this man? To which they answered, "If he were not an evildoer, doer, we would not leave. We would not have delivered him up to you." So, in other words, how dare you ask us? We, you know, we were. we're You know, we know what we're doing. The response was sarcastic, declaring they would not have brought him in if he wasn't a criminal. In their mind, he was already condemned. They've been opposing him all along. But second notice, you take him and judge him according to your law, verse 31, to which the Jews responded, it is now lawful for us to put anyone to death. They knew they had a problem. The Sanhedrin was allowed to exercise judicial matters, but sentencing a person to death had to be confirmed by the procreator. In fact, the Talmud declares that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, judgment of matters of life and death were taken from Israel. By the way, this was prophetic if you read Genesis 49.10, when Shiloh come that the scepter would be removed from them the scepter was the authority to rule themselves it was prophetic in genesis 49:10 interesting john tells us by way of commentary that this was stated that the saying of jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke signifying by what death he would die verse 32 because john is writing about 9095 his gospel probably the last of the Gospels, and he's looking back with retrospect, and he gives us commentary in his Gospel. Pilate wanted nothing to do with their case. He was walking on thin ice with the Jews and Rome. Now look at verse 33 to 38 of chapter 18. We have Pilate and Jesus here. In 33, Pilate enters the praetorium for the first time to interrogate Jesus and ask him, Are you the king of the Jews? And they had also accused him of forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, remember, in Luke 23, 2. Now in verse 34, the response of Jesus was a question to Pilate. Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Interesting question. (laughs) Jesus is interrogating Pilate now. About who he believes Jesus is. Who's on trial here? Verse 35 Pilate, sensing Jesus turning the tables, answers, offended Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus tells Pilate in 36 that he is not there to pronounce his defense, but rather his kingdom. Wow. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate He's the Roman procurator. He has all kinds of authority, even though he's on hot water. Jesus, as he looks to Jesus, Jesus looks like a peasant. He's got a band of guys running around following him, and yet he speaks in this way. You know he's scratching his head. In verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Whoa. Who's in control here? Who's on trial? It's interesting when you um, witness to people. And again, I don't think Jesus was salivating at this. I believe Jesus was trying to reveal to Pilate who he was so that he could repent. When people um, ask you about your Christianity or whatever it may be in your ministry, ministering unto them, and you're telling them about this and, um, and they get offended or, 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 or they get sarcastic, um, it, it shouldn't offend us. It should just break our heart because that blindness, that heart gets harder. And all we can do is give that witness and as people then walk away or whatever, we just continue to pray for them. Uh, There is no personal offense to me. The rejection is not of me. It's of Jesus Christ. It's important. Now, Jesus said he was a king in verse 37. Jesus came to bear witness of the truth about being a king, and the kingdom is mentioned three times. Yet he's being tried, supposedly. Jesus gave the pilot the way to know if he was of the truth. Jesus was laying a heavy witness, of good confession about himself, not for himself. Everyone who hears my words is of the truth. So if you don't hear me, you're not of the truth. Whoa. Now you tell people today that, and they say, well, you're a bigot. You're a racist. You're, you know, the regular politically correct cultural hatred propaganda. But there's nothing new under the sun, ladies and gentlemen. It's happened in previous generations. It will continue to do so until the day the Lord returns. Look at 38. Pilate responds with with rejection. Pilate said to Jesus, cynically, what is truth? (laughs) You can hear the professors in the universities. What is truth? There is no place that is the epitome of stupidity than our universities. The most moronic people are the professors of today, teaching things that are so illogical, so unethical, so immoral, and all they do is bring destruction to individuals and the nation. Amazing. He had heard and known so many schools of philosophies and religions. He had been around. In 38, Pilate, when he had said this, went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Whoa, what a statement. He knew that Jesus was innocent of the charges, but feared the Jews. For he knew that they had Handed him over because of envy, Matthew twenty seven eighteen and Mark fifteen ten tells us he knew it. And though he knew the truth about the motive for turning Jesus, he still persisted in this trial. In fact, Luke twenty three six through sixteen says that Pilate at that point, hearing that Jesus was a Galilean, belonging to Herod's jurisdiction. And he was in Jerusalem, so he sent Jesus to him, remember? Herod was glad to see Jesus, hoping that he might see him do some miracle in Luke 23 eight, it tells us. Jesus answered nothing and was handed over to his men of war, treating him with contempt, mocking him. Arrayed him in the gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate in that section. Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, verse 12 tells us of Luke 23. Previously, had been at enmity with each other. It's interesting how strange bedfellows. They hate each other, but if they find a common enemy, they become friends for a while. Pilate told the chief priests and the rulers and the people that he nor Herod had found any fault in Jesus as one who misled the people and that he was going to chastise him and release him. Therein. Luke twenty-three, thirteen through 16. This didn't go well with the crowd. This is not what they wanted. You know, position of power can cause any man to misuse and abuse it, bringing about severe consequences, even as David, when he um, um, acknowledged Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, as he was warned. But he acted contrary to that and didn't act according to knowledge. And... David was never the same. Though God forgave David, I wouldn't want to be David after Bathsheba. It cost him tremendously. His own son raped his own daughter. His own son chased him out of the kingdom. Enemies came after him. David was a broken man. The position of a person's own power and authority is deceptive when it comes to examining the person of Jesus Christ on mere intellectual facts and knowledge. The deception as an adult is to think that um, we can make the right, correct judgment about Jesus based solely upon secular information. Yet the Bible is clear in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16, that only the believer can judge spiritual things through the Scriptures. Because before you were born again, you and I were blind to the things of God. They made no sense. Our spirit was dead. The minute you're born again, the Scriptures become alive. The minute you're born again, you read in Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What a great place to put that, the first verse of the Bible. Now you're born again, you read that and go, wow, that's good. You don't say liar. No, you did that before you were a Christian. The minute you're born again, you have no problem with Genesis one one. That's a work of God. The confession of Jesus being the king of the Jews, the Messiah of God, cannot be more religious or intellectual rhetoric, but must be one of a personal relationship. So some people will say, well, I believe in Jesus, you know, You run into them, I run into them through the 43 years that I walk with God. Many people say, You know, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. But as you see how they live and how they conduct themselves, you say, Something's wrong here. Now, we understand that when people first come to the Lord, they're infants, they're not grounded. But, you know, when a baby, you first bring them home, they mess their pants, they spill things, they're selfish. But they can't stay there. They have to get out of their diapers into regular underwear and pants and get go from milk to meat and everything else, and so we expect out of each other. So we give grace to each other to grow and mature, but there has to be a growth maturity to move on and not just simply stand there. Either you stay carnal and an infant state, or you're not born again. One of the two. It happens all the time. Now Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? In Matthew sixteen thirteen, remember. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others say still Jeremiah. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed thou art, signed by Jonah, flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, that I am the Son of the living God, I will build my church. Not Peter's rock, that I'm the Son of the living God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So it's a revelation from the Father, just as you accepted Christ, it was a revelation of God who Jesus was. You can form your own conclusions about who Jesus is, whether it be a, a secular-wise or religious-wise, and have your own opinions that often contradict the revelation of God's Word. The only time I know I'm born again is when I agree with the Word of God. That is evidence that I'm born again. I agree with the Word of God. It's not the reverse. Amos 3, 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? A rhetorical question has only one answer. No. If I don't agree with God, listen, it's not that I don't walk with God, it's that He doesn't walk with me. People say, well, I know God. That's not the, that's not the big thing. The big thing is, does God say, I know Him? That's the big thing, okay? We have it reversed. The truth is, A revelation of the Father by the Holy Spirit. All the work of God, not of man. And yet God uses our ability to think and to reason and to make judgments by the work of the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't force us to do that. We are free moral agents until the day we die. You were a free moral agent before you came to Christ. You're still a free moral agent. I I presume that God didn't force you to come tonight. You had some choices. You could have gone somewhere else or you could have come here. And you almost went somewhere else, but you came here. Others were given the choice and they went somewhere else. They're not here. It's a choice. And if you sow to the flesh, you reap to the flesh. You sow to the spirit, you reap to the spirit, right? Just the way it is. And we are accountable for our lives and our choices. When we were non-Christians, and we're now responsible as Christians. But we're more responsible now because we have the greater light, the greater accountability. So this was Pilate as a distinguished authority. It moves us to Pilate as the decisive adversary here in 18, verse 39, all the way to chapter 19, verse 5. In eighteen thirty-nine through 40 Pilate and his plan of appeasement is presented. In uh, verse um, 39 here, Pilate offers, as their custom was, to release one of the men at Passover feasts, as you know. Pilate asked them, do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? In verse 39. Then they all cried, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. Wow. The choice of people was this murder insurrectionist. I'm sure that Pilate said they can't pick him. There's no way they'll pick him. And Pilate was bad. But in his mind he says they'll never pick him. Say so how in the world could they do that? Look at our world today. Look at the things that people say. The people the things that, that people say about our nation, the things that people say about about that's completely contrary to truth. Common sense. Evil is good and good's evil. Wow. When you get to chapter 19, verse one through five, we see Pilate in his plan of scourging next. This scourging was Pilate's second attempt to release Jesus directly, stated by Luke in Luke 23:16, by the way. The first had failed, the choice of who to release in chapter 18:29. The process of scourging was a vicious manner of inflicting incredible pain on a person. Verse 1, as they do, the Romans use the cat of nine tails, that bone and glass with leather thongs there, and um, they would lay 13 stripes on the side and 13 on the other side and 13 across the back. Um, There would be ligaments torn, the flesh, lungs sometimes would be exposed. Uh, There would be profuse bleeding. Um, They would go unconscious. Often, the majority would never make it to the cross. It was brutal. Um, And though as ugly as this is, there probably have been individuals who have suffered in a greater way physically than Jesus did through this flogging who have been taken in war and tortured or maybe the middle of the days with the Catholic Church, okay? So the key is not just the physical suffering, though as horrible as it was. The key is that Jesus Christ was going to be separated from the Father for the first time because he was going to become literal sin for us. That was the big deal, Okay? In verse two and three of nineteen, here the personal humiliation was done by the soldiers. The crown of thorn was the very curse of sin, as you know, which he would be dying for in order to redeem us um, uh, as he would set up the kingdom. Um, he will have many crowns. They placed the purple robe, mockery of his royalty, they insulted him by mocking um, um, making fun of Jesus as they said hail king of the Jews now some of you again have gone to Israel with us we've gone under the uh, praetorium guard there where they play their games and you can see the inscriptions right on the we were standing on the very floor where Jesus was with the soldiers there Um, they struck Jesus with their hands repeatedly as they played their game covering his face and they asked him who hit you now a normal man would not know who hit him Jesus did know who hit him (laughs) okay there was nothing that anybody had to tell Jesus he knew everything that was in man's heart he knew it all the other gospels tell us they um, knelt in mockery and they spat on him Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-seven 27-31 Mark fifteen, sixteen through 20 now notice the procurator Pilate again comes out of the praetorium for the third time to declare Jesus innocent. Um, Behold, in verse 4, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Now, do you have kind of a sense that Pilate wants to get rid of him? He wants to release him? Absolutely. He gave them a visible sight of his disfigurement in hopes that they would be satisfied. Fat chance of that. Verse 5, Pilate pointed to Jesus. He was arrayed in the mocking attire and declared, listen very carefully, behold the man, 100% man, 100% human is you and I, yet 100% God. You see, when Jesus left, Philippians says that he didn't think a robbery to be equal with God. He, he took on the form of a servant, and he emptied himself of his glory, never his deity, and he was obedient to the death of the cross. And for that reason, the name has been given to him above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, here's the big deal of that passage. It's saying that Jesus took something back to heaven that he didn't have with him when he came the first time. He is the God-man. He is sitting on the right hand of the Father, 100% man, 100% God. He went back as the high priest to mediate between God and man. Whoa. There's no other way man can be reconciled to God. Incredible. No sympathy. Didn't even bother them. You know, there are two kinds of cleverness, and both are priceless. One consists of thinking of um, a bright remark in time to say it. The other consists of thinking of it in time to not say it. (laughs) Both are wisdom. You don't want to confuse the two. Sometimes you want to say something, and then you say it, and you say, oh. Why did I say that? And then sometimes you should say it and you don't. And you blow it also. Both are wisdom. Pilate was not clever enough in this decisiveness at all. Now, many do not want to make a judgment on Jesus, so they opt out for a plan of appeasement today as well as past generations. And if the Lord tarries, it will be so in the future generations. They say, well, I believe in God. As long as one believes in something, that's what's important, right? No. They say they are moral, an ethical person sometimes. I don't commit fornication, adultery. I don't drink. I don't take drugs. I'm a good husband, I'm a good wife. What do you say to that? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You may be telling the truth from your perspective, but you're not perfect. You've had dirty thoughts. You've killed people in your heart. You've lusted after a woman or a man. So none of us deserve heaven. And people will say all these things. And you say, well, you've never lied? Well, yeah, okay, well. Liars will never enter the kingdom of God. You never stole a candy bar when you were little? Well, yeah, well, you're busted. All those arguments don't hold any water. They're emotional arguments. Moral arguments. The truth of the matter is that if we're not for Jesus, then we're against him. Being as guilty as Pilate who turned him over for scourging, being an enemy of God, Romans 8, 7 says. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. No decision is an indecision, which is a decision of being against Jesus. It's simple. The opportunity to make a judgment on Jesus will continue to present itself as with Pilate for a certain length of time. God will put up with some longer than others because he knows our heart and he knows everything. No one will ever, ever be able to accuse God of saying, you didn't give me enough chances. You weren't patient with me. You cut me short. No one. The opportunity to make a judgment on Jesus will continue. It is the goodness of God, forbearance, long suffering that leads us to repentance, Romans two four says. It is the will of God that none perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth, second Peter three nine says. It is the choice of many to be simply clever in their judgment about Jesus. Well, I believe he's a prophet. I believe he's a good man. I believe he's the greatest teacher. But if you don't believe that he's the son of God who died for you and rose from the dead, those other things are irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. In fact, they're an insult. Because you're not hitting the bullseye. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father by me. That's pretty narrow. Either it's the truth or it's absolute arrogance. Which do you think it is? The absolute truth. This was Pilate as a decisive adversary. He's not for him. Notice thirdly, when you get to chapter 19, there, verse 6 to 22, we have Pilate as the distressful advocacy. In verse 6 through 8, Pilate was pressured by the Jewish leaders, the chief priests. And the officers. He's getting it from every end. This guy is in bad trouble. The leaders were infuriated at Pilate's judgment in verse 6 and led the crowds in shouting, Crucify him! Yet three times Pilate had declared Jesus to be absolutely innocent. John eighteen thirty four, nineteen four, Luke twenty three, 4, 14, and twenty two all confirm this. The Persians originally crucified people. Crucifixion came from them. To the fact that they felt the earth to be sacred and blood cannot defile it. The Carthaginians copied it in the Romans from the Carthaginians perfected the execution. The death was one of for slaves and criminals, never for a Roman. A Roman would never be crucified. They would parade through the streets, that individual, taking the longest routes um, to warn all never to raise their hand against Rome. This will happen to you. Many times when people would come into Roman cities, they would find people crucified on trees as a warning. You're coming in, we welcome you, but watch yourself. The crime of the accused would be displayed on a plaque in hope that someone in the crowd would come forth to clear him. That's why their crime was put on top. They had been tried, found guilty, But nevertheless, even after they crucified him, it was on top that someone, if they had evidence, they could come forth, they would bring him down. Thought he would live, but so Rome was pretty uh, just to an extent. They were, by the way, a republic, which by the way, we are a republic. We are not a democracy. Please tell every newscaster. And every politician that we are not a democracy. We are a republic. We a republic under God. A rule of law. A democracy is the worst form of government. If you have 300 people in a room and they're all moral and ethical and then you make some choices for them, they're going to make good choices. Everybody's going to be happy. Because the majority is going to want that. But if you have 30 conservatives, moral, ethical people, and some Christians sprinkled in there, but you have the 300 that are wicked and evil, and you give them the same choice, who's going to win now? The evil people. A democracy is the worst form of government. It never works. It leads to a dictatorship. We have gone through a nation of law, a republic. Two, a democracy, sort of speak only in mind and in theory and in propaganda. We moved to an oligarchy, the rule of fuel over many. We saw that for eight years through Obama. And now we're in an anarchy. Every man's doing what's right in their own eye. There's a shadow government ruling right now next to the government of President Trump. Obstructing. From oligarchy, you go anarchy. And it's only God's mercy if he allows this thing to go on too much longer and isn't corrected. We don't know what God's going to do. Okay? We got a four-year break. It's going to be war all the way. <laughs> all right? We are a republic. A rule of law. So was Rome. Now, in verse 7, the Jews reveal their true accusation. We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself, listen, the Son of God. They knew exactly what Jesus said. They accused him, they wanted him dead because he said, I am the Son of God. The sin was blasphemy according to their law. Leviticus twenty six, twenty four sixteen, and many other places. The article before the title implies character and nature. Notice the procreator, Pilate, here in verse 8. When he heard that Jesus made himself out to be the Son of God, was the more afraid. At this time, the first inquiry with Jesus, I am sure... It came to his mind that he was um, the king of the Jews, really? You don't look like a king. Oh, by the way, you have a kingdom? Where are your subjects? That he was born into the world to bear witness of the truth? What is truth? That everyone who is of the truth hears your voice? Didn't make sense to Pilate, did it? But he knew something was different and he knew that he had been set up. But Pilate's trying to protect himself. He's trying to protect himself. Look at verse 9 through 12. Pilate's pressure drove him back to Jesus. Verse 9 through 10, Pilate entered once again to the praetorium or the judgment hall. And he asked Jesus, Where are you from? (laughs) Not Burbank. Not Pasadena. But Jesus gave him no answer. Ooh, that's dangerous. God is open for people to question him. Even doubt him. Even say some pretty nasty things. When God won't speak to you any longer, he draws a line. By the way, it's not a red line. It's a line. And once it's crossed, God in all his love can do nothing. And you know he's gone as far as he can. He's perfect. Pilate knew he was from Galilee. He knew it. Luke 23, 6-7 tells us, Pilate knew there was something different about Jesus and he was being forced by the circumstances to do something he did not want to do. Have you ever been in a position when you were growing up that you were in a position that you were kind of forced through prayer, whatever it is, and you didn't want to do it, but you did it because of your pride or because you didn't want to, whatever. And you regretted it and paid the price later? This is Pilate. Look at verse 10. Pilate was impatient and felt insulted by the silence of Jesus. Rather than being humbled, he, he, he's infuriated. Pilate lashes out at Jesus, Are you not speaking to me? The other Gospels tells us that Pilate marveled greatly at his silence without any attempt to defend himself. Matthew twenty seven fourteen, Mark fifteen five. Do you not know that I have power, literally authority to crucify you and power to release you? Verse 10 says. Jesus answers two things to Pilate in verse 11. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Woe! The authority was given of the Father. Secondly, therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin? Now God is just, and there's degrees of judgment, degrees of responsibility, the degrees of guilt. You as a parent chasten and discipline your children depending on what they do. Okay, you don't just whack everybody the same way, but it depending who's the guiltier, who has the greater responsibility, the age, and all that. If we do that and try to be just with our children, how much more God who is perfect. No one will ever be hung for something they didn't do. Trust me. Look at verse 12. Pilate became more set on attempting to release Jesus, but the Jews persuaded him even more. They threatened him of being disloyal to Caesar. Ooh, now they're touching a nerve here. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, threatening him by saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Uh Uh-oh. They accused him of being one with King Jesus. Verse 12, whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. They knew as well as he that this would only add to his bad reputation to the present day. So he he knows he's, he's in a hot position right now. Look at verse 13 through 22 of chapter 19. Pilate gave in to the pressure and decided to do what was best for himself. This is a bad mistake. The actions he took in verse 13 was to sit as one having the authority to release or condemn. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabatha. He feared the power of Rome over the power of God. It was at this time that his wife came to him and said, have nothing to do with this, listen, righteous man. For I have suffered much over him today in a dream, Matthew twenty-seven nineteen. That is God's mercy and goodness to warn him through his wife. That didn't even work. The word pavement or Gabbatha means the raised place or ridge where judgments were made from an elevated platform. Pilate washed his hands at this time to make himself not guilty of the matter. In Matthew twenty-seven twenty-four, declaring, I'm innocent of this man's blood. You can say it. You can walk through it with water off your hands. It doesn't make you innocent. You still have the blood in your hands. God will judge you for that. In verse 14, the proclamation of Pilate was, Behold your king. The time is marked by the phrase, the preparation day of the Passover. The phrase is repeated in verse 14, 31, and 42. John tells us that it was the sixth hour which would make it 12 p.m. in Jewish time, yet Mark tells us that Jesus was crucified at the third hour, 9 a.m., Jewish time. John is using Roman time. He is writing about 90 A.D. There is no more temple or state of Israel, for in 70 A.D., Titus destroyed and leveled the city and the temple. He says about the sixth hour, It's not exact. Notice the response of the people and Pilate's ruling judgments were one. Verse 15, the people said, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. The procreator Pilate then delivers in verse 16 him to them to be crucified so they took Jesus and led him away Pilate rejected the last opportunity to do right or to protect his position and he chose the latter he saved himself you save your life you'll lose it you lose your life you'll save it Jesus said wow no official sentence was pronounced or recorded. Yet he was condemned to death. The last words in verse 17 through 22 are Pilate's as he thinks he gets the upper hand on the Jews. They took Jesus in verse 17 and 18 to Golgotha the place of the skull outside of Jerusalem. Some of you have been there with us where they crucified him along with two thieves In 19 and 20, the plaque of Jesus over his head was the doing of Pilate, reading, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. He said, okay, you guys got me, but I'm going to get you, king of the Jews. In fact, they came and they said, don't say he's king of the Jews. Say he said he was king of the Jews. Says, what I have written, I have written. See, when you're in this world, you pay back people. You think you get over on them. But the real fact is that you have to worry about a future judgment with God. Down here, it's nothing. This is nothing. The chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write king of the Jews, but that he was he said he was, verse 21 22 it says it's done a done deal you know knowledge can be memorized wisdom must think things through, wisdom is something that enables us to use knowledge rightly, wisdom resists pressure, thinks for itself, and is reconciled to the use of its own judgment So there's a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge, but they're not very wise. They do some dumb things. They're not wise. Wisdom is the right application, understanding, the knowledge to make the right decision, the best decision. There was a young lady from Niger who smiled as she rode on the tiger. They came back from the ride with the lady inside and the smile on the face of the tiger. Okay, she wasn't very wise. You may have a lot of knowledge. You may even have a lot of power. But that doesn't make you wise. It's the decisions you make, how you make them, the reason, the motives you make them by, and do they line up with the Word of God that says what wisdom truly is. That's the most important thing. That's why we study the Word of God. So that you and I can know how to be decent people, people that are going to be able to help society and Uh, be an asset to society, how to be husbands, wives, um, fathers, uh, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, and brothers and sisters. That's why we study the Word of God. Too many throughout history have allowed um, the pressure of people and circumstances to dictate their choices of not living for Jesus, wanting to not lose a young lady. The young man will follow the young lady, or the reverse. Wanting to be popular, be in the end crowd. Ah, I'm young right now, when I get old, you know, then I'll think about, how do you know you're going to reach old age? How do you know God will be knocking on the door then? You don't? Luke twelve eight says, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels of God. Some have given in to the pressure and temptations, whether it be finances, money, sexual, power, whatever it is, to silence their stands for Jesus. They've chosen those things over Jesus. First Timothy 6 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not money itself, the love of money. For which some have strayed from the faith that's a Christian We're not talking about non-believers some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows for what profit is it if a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul Jesus said in Matthew 16 28 life goes by quick just yesterday I was 18. That quick. In 13 years I will be 80 years old. That's nothing. I could have less than 13 years to live. But if I live up to 80 13 years is nothing. Nothing. What are you living for? What do you think is worth your life here on earth? Wow. Others just merely choose to worship themselves rather than choosing to worship Jesus. They have their own plans for their lives, their own sense of right and wrong, their own goals. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools as Romans one twenty two says. The words of individuals who have spoken against Jesus or for Jesus without being his children will one day have to give an account for all they have said. Jesus is not on trial. You and I are. For we are guilty before God, Romans 3.23 says. Jesus is not affected by our evaluation of him. You and I are affected by his evaluation of us for all eternity. If we're not born again, we will never enter the kingdom of God. And the wrath of God abides on us. You must be born again. And so this was Pilate as um, a distressful advocacy. But he had every chance given to him. So the trial of Jesus by Pilate reveals him in these progressive movements that seal his eternity. Pilate, as a distinguished authority, really wasn't. Pilate, as a decisive adversary, really was no big adversary to Jesus. And Pilate, as a distressful advocacy, should have humbled himself before Jesus. It all would have worked out okay. But it was a choice that he made. It was the wrong choice. Because it was a choice on eternity. Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness. We love you, we thank you. Lord, we pray tonight, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you or over the internet, you would make yourself known to them, Lord, and your love for them and how you died for them. And the Lord, as you rose from the dead... You are guaranteed that our sins can be forgiven and that you can transform our lives. And so, Lord, we lift them to you. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior tonight, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If your desire is to repent of your sin, if you agree with God with the things that we've shared, then that's the grace of God. A prayer of repentance is what Jesus requires all the time as you choose to ask him to forgive you and to come into your life to transform you and make you a child of God by grace through faith based on what he did for you because you cannot do that for yourself. If this is your desire to be born again, this is your prayer of repentance right now, right where you're at. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.